Hello and welcome back. Last week we wrapped up our Go Green Home series. We hope you enjoyed learning about ways to make better choices with the earth in mind for your most sacred spaces. We have plenty more tips to help you and your family live your best lives. In today's episode, we are excited to have award-winning jewelry artist Michelle Pajak Reynolds here with us. Michelle's creations are elegant and ethereal art to wear that stirs the soul. Based in Stowe, Ohio, she handcrafts small collections of -of one-of-a-kind designs featuring unique gemstones, pearls, and ethically sourced precious metals. In addition to designing her signature jewelry collections, Michelle works one-on-one with collectors to create breathtaking custom designs. Her collections have been featured on the red carpet at the Primetime Emmy Awards, the runways of New York Fashion Week, and aboard the United Nations Peace Boat and in publications and gallery exhibitions. We are so lucky to have Michelle here to share some amazing stories of inspiration for her art, how she makes more sustainable choices in her materials and methods to create jewelry, and some tips for keeping your jewelry looking great for years to come. Michelle's a beautiful person and truly an inspiration, and we are looking forward to having her back sometime to talk more about her current endeavors. We are truly honored to have her on and excited to share her with you today. You can check out Michelle at michellepayjackreynolds.com, on Instagram at michellepayjackreynolds, and on Facebook at michellepayjackreynoldsjewelry. All of those are linked in the bio here. All right, green team, let's get started. Hi, I'm Jess Taylor. And I'm Natalie Ringeis. And we love the green life. Welcome to our podcast. We are both teachers, mamas, nature lovers, and passionate about changing the world we live in and helping to save the planet by inspiring others. Join us as we discuss practical ways to live a more sustainable, healthy, and green life for you, your family, and even your fur babies. Love the Green Life is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that promotes cruelty-free, chemical-free, and compassionate living. You can learn more about us and what we do at lovethegreenlife.org and on Facebook and Instagram at lovethegreenlife.org. I have been an artist since I was five years old. A little more backstory. Jewelry is how I got to be in this world. It's my purpose in this world. It's a key part of my identity. My parents actually met across a jewelry case and that whole bio is on my website. So um, my mom was the jewelry department manager at, at Kmart in Highland Heights, Ohio, which I don't think that store is even around anymore, but she was a jewelry department manager there in the mid to late seventies. And my dad was a Cleveland Clinic police officer. And like many officers in their office, off-duty hours back before stores had their own loss prevention departments. He picked up local security jobs to make extra money. And um, that was one of the security jobs he had. And that's how they met. So that's how I got to be here. And my mom worked behind a jewelry case until you know, she quit her job because that's what women did back in the 70s until she had me. And then she was a stay-at-home mom. For most of my childhood, I have a younger sister and a younger brother. So she was like a stay-at-home mom until I was about 12 and 13 years old. I, like I said, I've been an artist my entire life. And I went to Kent State University for my Bachelor of Fine Art degree in jewelry. And one of the classes I took was an art history study abroad. And I went to London and Paris. I I, I put myself through school and what it took to save money for that trip. And I got to visit Notre Dame. It gives me chills right now thinking about it. So 
you know, I've been talking to my daughter about like my travels and how mommy's an artist and, and everything. She's grown up with me in my studio. So when Notre Dame caught fire, oh my God, it was like a best friend was in critical Oh, it condition. was very traumatic for, I was, for my husband I was, and I. I was sitting at the dining room table and all of a sudden I had pulled something on my phone. I think I saw it on Instagram and I was like, what? Like I couldn't breathe and I am just sobbing. Like, like my best friend had just died. Mm-hmm. And, and Maeve, you know, she's very intuitive and she comes up to me. She goes, mommy, she's wiping my face. Why, why are you crying? What's wrong? What happened? I couldn't even talk. And I'm just showing her pictures of Notre Dame because she knows you talk about how your daughter is a dancer. Well, mm-hmm. she's an artist and it's coming out in dance right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my daughter's favorite little movies on Netflix is Leap, which mm-hmm. is the ballerinas and Notre Dame is like is in there. the background, is there and in the yeah. background. So she, she, and she understands like the Eiffel Tower that's being built in the time period of that movie. Mommy has been to. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's connected to Notre Dame in a way. And I'm explaining to her, you know, how the buildings of work of art and all this, this artwork in the building itself, you know, we don't know what's happened. It's gotten ruined. She goes, well, I'm a great artist. I will make them artwork and they can hang it up when it gets fixed. Oh, and we send it love, to them. Love her solutions. Yes. So, so <laughs> I, I have pictures of this. She, she sat down, she loves to paint on canvas. So we have real art supplies in this house for, for her. <laughs> when I've got the fun washable markers and all that, but we've got the real stuff. So she sat down at her little art table with her little tabletop easel and she got her art smock on and you know I helped her pick out all the little colors on her palette well at the time she could only really paint abstract art so think like Monet water lilies you know that type of stuff and so she does this little eight inch by eight inch canvas painting and of course we have to let it dry a few days and and then of course we sign our artwork and I said well what do you want to call it she says flowers for Notre Dame Okay. So I write with Sharpie on the back and I date it. We box it all up and I include this letter. I looked up, I'm like, who do I even send this to? Yeah. So I say, well, who's the head of the church? <laughs> who's the Monsignor? So I look him up and I get the address and I do this letter about how I had visited and the whole backstory and we ship it off. So this is May-ish because it took her a while to finish the painting. The fire was like April 15th of 2019. Took her a couple days to figure out what she wanted to do and paint it. So we we shipped this off and I think they got it like in May. We get a letter. Now I sign this and all the customs paperwork is her name and my name. You know, she's a child. Yeah. She's a July baby. We get a letter maybe a week or so before her birthday addressed specifically to her. So somebody read it and recognized that this came from a child and sent, I mean, granted it was like the form letter of like, you know, we've we're overwhelmed with the donations and the support and we're rebuilding. And, you know, it was a standard form letter, but it's on Notre Dame letterhead. It's in French. I had to type it all into Google Translate because my French totally gone, you know, from my days of, I was there over the holidays of 1998. So that's how long ago my trip was. But she has this letter from Notre Dame addressed specifically to her that arrived right before her birthday. And somebody somewhere at Notre Dame has her artwork. Has her art. It's oh. there. Has her art. And, and she goes, well, when can we go visit it? I said, well, they're still fixing it. Periodically, we have to look up, you know, repair and check project. in and see how the check restoration the is going. And I'm showing her how it gets... word on the street. It's going okay. It's going okay. Yeah, it is. It is. We saw pictures of like the organ being disassembled. You know, the whole pipe organ there, mm-hmm. and how that has to get all cleaned out, and how the damage. They had to like build scaffolding on top of the damaged scaffolding before they could remove the damaged stuff so that everything's stable and all that. But it's it's going to take probably a decade or more. Oh. It- 
it reminded me of the Alexandria library that burnt down. Oh yeah. It was, it, it was that level yeah. of yeah, yeah. the world will never be the same. Right. Right. Like the we world. are losing a one of a kind planetary treasure. <laughs> right. Right. So, right. oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing story. And what a really special thing for her to have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. she's asking that. when we can go. And I said, well, mom, you'll be 50 and you'll be 12. So you have to be at least 12 because, oh, taking her in the car for more than two hours, she runs out of the car. So like, they're playing. Oh, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like there's no, we can't get off the airplane over the Atlantic Ocean. Like that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I said, well, we have to save lots of money. So she's putting all of her little, you know, quarters that, you know, magically appear behind her ears in her piggy bank. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I said, well, we'll save up monies and and we'll go and mommy will take you to all the places that I went to when I was going to Kent State. It's beautiful. My daughter wants to go to Paris just to see the Eiffel Tower because she knows my husband and I went, we spent some time there and then college roommate of mine was getting married. So we actually went to her wedding, but she knows that daddy kissed mommy on the Eiffel Tower. That's like mommy's romantic story. (laughs) Well, she needs to get a hug and kiss from daddy at the Eiffel Tower. He needs to set the standard. And I need to like raise the bar for her. Like you see, mm, see what a man can do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. do not do not expect less um oh yeah yeah well Maeve already she had a boyfriend in preschool and there was a little spat and and he called her a stupid head one day and she goes well he's not my boyfriend anymore I said well why what happened she goes he called me a stupid head I said well yeah she goes yeah you don't get to talk to me that way I was like right on <laughs> clapping my job as a mom is done like oh, I'm yes. like you know <laughs> oh how wonderful well I think you've caught on a little bit Jess and I both have young children yeah. <laughs> as well and it's so great to hear how your creativity is kind of fueled by her and your family and thank you so much for sharing that and Jess I know you have gotten some advice from her for like jewelry and stuff didn't she help you with our bracelets well she helped my husband who was in there getting my anniversary that was it okay yeah so yeah so this is my first time meeting you but you met my husband and he's a huge advocate for our nonprofit. so he right talked with you and was so excited to share with me once he gave me my gift (laughs) and he was (laughs) like he's like oh and here is her card (laughs) yeah oh yeah I remember yeah so locally my jewelry is carried at Squirrel City Jewelers Mm -hmm. and I was there helping out for one of their events Michael Fennell who is the store owner he has several local artists so I was there helping out for one of the events and Jess's hubby had popped in and we had great discussions. I can't say more because it might ruin future surprises, but um, when (laughs) I was wrapping everything up, we were chatting and, you know, just typical, you know, retail small talk. And that's when he mentioned what you guys had. And I was like, oh, well, this is what I'm doing in jewelry. So once the gift has been well-received, we could... we can set something up. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a lot of fun. It's nice having, having people come in who are excited to support local businesses and Mm -hmm. and all of that. The response, especially after the past, you know, 18 plus months has been really wonderful. Yeah. And one thing that is in our mission as a nonprofit is supporting local businesses and organizations that share a similar mission as us. So that's something we really strive to do. And I know Natalie and I both in our everyday life support small 
businesses mm-hmm. as much as possible. So, you know, for sure for my husband, that was right on cue for him to <laughs> be in there getting that for me. Cause I would much rather that, but yeah, so it was a, it was a fun surprise when I got my anniversary gift and then he was like, Oh, and here, let me tell you all about this <laughs> <laughs> bonus gift. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very appreciative that you came on here to chat with us today. And I can't wait to hear some of your tips and your sustainable sources that you use. If you are listening, you definitely want to jump on to Michelle's website and just drool over her (laughs) absolutely stunning pieces of art that you have the pleasure of possibly wearing sometime in your life. These are so whimsical. (laughs) And I'm so curious to hear about, you know, how do you describe your style of jewelry? Because I think you really highlight what the earth can create and make, and you really celebrate, you know, shapes that happen naturally. You really celebrate natural shapes. I can notice that like right away. And I really think that's cool, (laughs) but I'm sure there's things that I am not picking up on. So how would you describe your style of jewelry? Well, I recently just changed the little tagline on my website to infinitely curious, lovingly handcrafted, one-of-a-kind jewelry. So when I specialize in small collections of -of one-of-a-kind designs, and with my collections, each collection is inspired by a specific theme or a story, like a collection I just put up that I just recently finished earlier this year, it's the Mira collection which actually is inspired by my trip to Stonehenge, like part of that Notre Dame trip that I talked about earlier. When we were in England, we went to Stonehenge. Um, And so part of that trip is a combination of being inspired by Stonehenge itself and the experience I had there and my 2019 gemstone mining trip for Herkimer Diamond Quartz Crystals in Herkimer, New York. Being there at the mines triggered memories of Stonehenge. So in a way they're connected. And then in researching Stonehenge, I found that there is some of the archaeological finds at some of those various standing stones, not just at Stonehenge, but the other like stone circles throughout Europe. People have found quartz crystals buried in like the holes where some of the stones are. So they were placed there for a reason. It's very, very fascinating. There's a whole story. Um, So the collection I'm talking about is Mira, M-I-R-A, which Mira is like the root word or the word miracle, which is to wonder or to be in awe. So that's how the collection got its name. So that's, that's the most recent pieces. But yeah, every collection is inspired by something different. Sometimes it'll take 18 months to sometimes even three years to complete a collection because every stone is chosen for a specific purpose. Not only do I deeply research my inspirational materials, I also research my raw materials. So it's not just, oh, this is a pretty blue stone and it goes really nice next to the, you know, this gold element here. Like, yes, it has to be pretty, but it's also there for a specific reason. I also love the lore of gemstones and some of the different things that humans have associated with those stones for, for millennia. So I also write about those stones and, and such. But yeah, all my all my pieces. Are, are one of it. It's hard to talk about something that like you're so intimately connected to, but yeah. So that's that's how I describe it. That's how I describe it. It's gorgeous. I think if I were to pick my favorite collection, that kind of is, I think, one that would highlight "Love the Green Life." But I want to hear the story behind it. It's that voy. Is it Voyage Juice? Voyage Juice. Yes, it's a and French, it reminds French me word. of like I'm Batman fan, Poison Ivy. Oh yeah. Well, you know, well it is. 
especially some of that like necklace collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they look really green plants a little bit. Oh, um, so tell me about that collection because that one's really cool. And it's just, and it's green. It's green. With other tones, but. Yeah, so, so that collection is actually inspired by the beauty of moss. And so the inspiration for, I don't watch TV, but I listen to podcasts and I devour books. And one of my favorite writers is Elizabeth Gilbert. And she had written a book uh, a novel uh, called The Signature of All Things. And one of the, the main character in the book is a woman by the name of Alma Whitaker. She's born right around the time of, I want to say the 1800s. I may have the dates wrong because it's been a while since I've cracked that book open. Right around the time of the early 1800s. And her father became a very wealthy man dealing in like the spice and herbal medicine trade because we didn't have modern medicine back then the way we do now. So your spices were your medicine back then. So he had all these greenhouses and all these properties, but also, you know, women in that time period, you know, you didn't leave home, you didn't do all these things. So, but she was highly educated. And so she started researching since she couldn't travel to study, study botany. She started researching the moss on her own property and became this moss expert and then ended up traveling the world. A woman who blazed her own trail, traveled the world studying mosses. And one of the, books and scientists that Elizabeth worked with to make sure she had the, the moss research right was Dr. Robin Wall Kimmerer, who wrote a book called Gathering Moss. It was just phenomenal about how like the health of moss, it, moss is like the land version of your coral reefs. Mm -hmm. So a healthy moss forest so to speak, like I'm looking at my tree outside my studio window and there's a nice coating of moss on the bark, which actually helps the tree. Don't remove that from your trees, but a healthy moss population, wherever it's growing, it indicates that the biology in that area is healthy just like coral reefs do. So I was like inspired by this and I was like, oh, I want to work with green stones anyway. What can I find that looks like sparkly moss? You know, because moss is like velvety and if there's dew on it, it has a little bit of sparkle. So it was like, I write the whole backstory behind every collection on the journal pages of my website. So if you're looking on a piece and you're reading the description of the piece, you can click, there's links to those journal pages and all my research materials and the world inside my head. That's about that collection. That is so beautiful. Yeah, I love that. I love it even more. I'm yeah. so happy that you put the journal mm -hmm. piece on your website. That's something yes. that is, I think, uncommon when someone goes to, I mean, sometimes you get to hear stories from the artists and that's if you follow them and you're on their Instagram and things like that. But I love that you have it right there on your website. I had scanned through it. I was mostly just gawking at the jewelry. I'm not going to lie. Like full no, disclosure. No. And that's, and, and gawk, gawk away. Cause however people, some people enter into my, into my jewelry and enter into collecting jewelry just by gawking and drooling and you know, mm -hmm. that type of stuff. And that's great. Some people, all they care about is, Oh, this is pretty. And it goes with my outfit. And I love how it looks with my hair and like totally fine with that absolutely love it honored for you to have it and enjoy it and love it and wear it because I don't want it to sit in your jewelry box I want you to live your life in it my jewelry has a far more exciting life than I do go let it live its life with you <laughs> like, kind of thing uh some people uh, like I have a lot of art collectors and they love the backstory Mm -hmm. And they want that relationship with the artist. They want to kind of jump into their creative world. And what's unique about what I do is if there's a piece on my website, I'm the one that made it from start to finish. And because of that making, that quality level comes through, like these are pieces that are going to last 
generations. Like that's what you're investing in when you're buying my work or any high quality piece of jewelry. It's not going to be the $10 thing from your big box store or your accessory store at the mall if you even go to a mall anymore. And I used to work at a mall jewelry store. So like no knocking mall jewelry. Uh, you know, if that's that's where my collection started when I had babysitting money, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. kind of stuff. Writing the backstory and writing about the pieces, where the stones come from, how I source them, why I wanted to work with them. I, it's important. It's important to me. And if some people love it for that reason or love it even more for that reason, great. If some people only love it because, oh, it's sparkly, totally fine. So I do notice that if I click on a piece, you're very specific if you have created it with like recycled silver. Yeah. Recycled sterling silver. Yeah. Tell me about, I don't know much about recycling metals in jewelry. Okay. So term recycled silver or even recycled gold, you may hear that a lot now. Here's one of the issues with sustainable jewelry is there's a lot of greenwashing going on as with all industries. Yeah. And truth be told, the amount of gold, even the gold that's in your cell phone and on our computers that enable us to communicate, the amount of gold that's floating around in the marketplace that's been already mined out of the ground, 90 plus percent of that has been in circulation for thousands of years. If it's refined properly, it's infinitely recyclable. You know, you're not going to throw it away. You know, gold's going to end up as like, like coin, silver's going to be your coin stuff and all of that. So uh, it's currency, you know, jewelry in one way is currency. The suppliers I work with, it's about controlling your supply chain and knowing and tracing that supply chain throughout from the time like a refiner gets, say, an old piece of jewelry, like maybe it's a piece of jewelry that can't be repaired anymore, or it's so beat up, you know, you just can't repair it. Or it's a piece of jewelry, I don't love this anymore. I want to melt the metals down and turn it into something else. So the refiners I work with, you know, they buy scrap metal, or it could even be like silver scrap from my own jewelry design process. You know, there's always scrap, you know, just like in clothing design, you have your scrap fabrics and stuff. So it's controlling that supply chain and then they refine it and turn it into new mill product, which would be like wire, um, sheet metal, that then jewelers would then work casting grain that then jewelers would work with. Sometimes they do get fresh metal for like freshly mined metal. So what they're doing is they're keeping the freshly mined metal separate. It's almost like how, you know, Jewish friends of mine who are, who are very strict about their kosher, you know, cooking, they'll have like separate cookware for, you know, certain foods versus others so that things don't mix. It's the same in some of these jewelry refiners. They'll keep anything that's coming in to be recycled completely separate from any freshly mined metals that's coming in from the mining industry uh, and keeping those things separate. So how did you go about finding a refiner that, or a processor? Like, how did you go about finding like these raw materials for your art that were eco-friendly? Well, it's a lot of it's published about in some of the jewelry trade organizations that I'm a member of. So okay. uh, Manufacturing Jewelers and Suppliers of America, um, they've, they have a beautiful magazine. Uh, you know, they've been writing about this for a while. And a lot of these refiners have been around 100 plus years. So the one refiner and supplier I work with right now for my recycled metals and even my fair mind 
gold is Hoover and Strong. And they've been around over 108 years. Um, They actually started by getting platinum out of old light bulbs because light bulbs used to have platinum in them. So that was their story. And they would take that platinum out of those old light bulbs, refine the platinum and then sell it to jewelers. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. There's platinum in your car too. So typically your catalytic converter, that's got platinum in it as well. And, and a bunch of other stuff. So Hoover and Strong has, have been doing this for a long time. And it's been part of their principles for, I don't remember how long, but a, a long while. And they came out with a line called Harmony Recycled Metals, which means they've been keeping their recycled metals separate from any freshly mined material because su- supply and demand from freshly mined material in the, in the manufacturing process. And so with Fairmind, Fairmind is fully traceable back to the mine. Um, so Fairmind gold. So what happens is Hoover and Strong buys the gold from the mining community, the Fairmind certified mining community. They get it as like the raw, like brick of gold, like, you know, that you might see in like a cartoon or something like the gold brick. And they then are like nuggety kind of thing. And then they then take that gold and turn it into wire, sheet metal, you know, all those, all those raw materials that they make it workable for jewelers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then as a fair mind licensed jeweler, I can actually, well, any jeweler can buy fair mind gold to use in their jewelry. Only if you are licensed, can you actually stamp your jewelry with the fair mind label? Mm. that's the difference so that you know and all the future generations that are going to have that piece of jewelry with that fair mind logo on it they're going to know that this piece of jewelry played a role in doing good in the world i have a question is this the same as like with diamonds because i know i hear about like fair trade diamonds the diamond industry that's that could be a whole (laughs) multiple episode podcast series in and of itself (laughs) So yeah, there's fair trade. There's, there's, it, it all comes down to certification and traceability. Mm-hmm. And if you're buying a piece of jewelry and someone is making a claim about the stone or the metal, ask for evidence of that claim. Because like I said, there's a ton of greenwashing, mm-hmm. like with lab creative diamonds, they were saying these were the most eco-friendly, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're not because they require massive amounts of electricity to run the machines to replicate the forces that lie deep within the earth. You're replicating that in the lab that require huge amounts of electricity. Where's that electricity coming from? In certain parts of the world, that's coal burning power plants that could be oil. That could... So if you're going to make sustainability claims within the U.S., the Federal Trade Commission is very specific on what kind of language you can use and what you can't as part of protecting consumers. So there's this whole thing that I have. One, I would abide by because of my personal integrity, but there's a lot of, as with other industries, there's a lot of, you know, people who just greenwash something because it's the key marketing term Mm -hmm. and and the buzzword of the day. Well, what inspired you to seek out sustainable and responsible sourcing for your jewelry? Well, it started back in the early 2000s when I met a pioneer in the sustainable jewelry field, uh, Christina T. Miller at a jewelry conference. She is one of the founders of Ethical Metalsmiths. And Christina is now doing consulting for jewelry companies, individual designers, and also NGOs for a more sustainable jewelry industry. But at the time, that's when it first got on my radar. And I just 
kind of followed it for a while because it was new and it, it takes a long time to you know just like how an organic farm takes seven years to get its certification because it can't use pesticides for seven years on its you know property within the jewelry industry there are so many players you're talking you know government um, because of customs and imports and exports and taxes you're also talking getting buy-in from like the mining communities you're talking like with what I was talking about Hoover and Strong earlier like they they're the importers from the mines of the fair mine gold so it's a long process so I've been following it for a while and it was something that was like always on my to-do list as an artist and the most sustainable thing that anyone can do is just use up the supplies they have first so that took some time. And then in 2018, when I was actually working on the boys use collections that we talked about earlier, my daughter was in the studio with me. She was about three at the time. And this kid never asked, like, you know how some kids like, why is their question? No, <laughs> hers is who made it? How did it get here? And so I'm, I'm putzing around in the studio, kind of like making sure she's not getting into stuff she's not supposed to be. And she's just playing and talking and all this stuff. And then she, she picks up actually one of the earrings from that collection she goes this is pretty who made it how did it get here I said well you know mommy made that and then she picks up like it's just a plain stone or a piece of metal that I had that I was working with and she goes well who made this and I said oh well that's from so-and-so you know whatever supply company that I had at, at the time I don't even remember specifically what the item was and she goes no mama I don't think so tell me who she wanted specifics she was barely three <laughs> and, you know, talk about an old bleepity bleep moment. Uh -huh. um, and I realized at that, like, that's when doing this in a more sustainable way, like my heart hit the floor, like doing this in a more sustainable way became personal. Just like how I said earlier, like, I don't care how someone connects with my work. If they've connected with it, they've connected with it. And if they only connect with it on the, oh, it's pretty and sparkly level, that's totally cool with me. Some people will connect with my work because of the sustainability aspect to it. And that's totally fine. And some people won't. And that's totally fine too. But if at the end of the day, I end up just making, because I never know when I make something, if it's going to go to someone else. I just, I don't know. You never know. It's a guess. It's like a little, little hope and a little wish and a little prayer every time an artist makes something that's going to find the right home. But if it doesn't, and I just end up, Maeve just ends up inheriting this epic jewelry box of, of sparkles, <laughs> then she's going to know which pieces mommy made and who made it and where it came from because it's going to have that little stamp on. And so a couple months after that little conversation um, with her, I had completed my fair mine licensing agreement and certification with the Alliance for Responsible Mining. And so I became a fair mine licensed gold designer. Currently, fair mine sterling silver isn't available in the U.S. because there's not, not enough demand for it for Hoover and Strong to buy it in mass quantity, or at least in the minimum quantity that the mine needs it to be purchased at mm -hmm. for that labeling. Uh, currently, there's not enough demand for that for them to do it. Like if you're going to an art show or you're going to a jewelry store, ask, ask for it. Because if there's enough demand, then the designers and the jewelry stores will be going to Hoover and Strong because they're they're the only one in the U.S. right now that I know of that's doing like the raw material mill products for jewelers. Wow. Um, or if you're going to have a custom piece made, any jeweler can buy the Fairmine Gold, but in order for them to be allowed to stamp your piece, 
with the Fairmine Gold label. One, it has to be 100% Fairmine Gold. You can't have other gold. Like you can't take gold from grandma's ring and mix it with the Fairmine Gold and put the Fairmine. I was going to ask that. Yeah. So that's that's part of the licensing. Okay. So so when there's gold in my work and I've used Fairmine Gold in it, that's very specific licensing. So that's part of the control of the supply chain. And I have to keep all my scrap, like all my Fairmind gold scrap separate so that when I send it in for refining, Hoover and Strong knows they can take, now it's, now it's recycled Fairmind gold and they can keep that separate. So it doesn't get mixed in with the other gold, the new, uh, the new or say other gold scrap they're taking in from other jewelers. So it's all mm-hmm. about, you know, traceability in, in the supply chain. And I have to report that gold purchase that I made to the Fairmine Connect platform. So again, it's tracing where it went so that at the end of the day, we can say, this is what we're doing. Um, and what Fairmine Gold does is the miners, the premium that you pay for the Fairmine Gold, because it is a little bit more expensive, but there's a value with that. The mining communities, they're the ones deciding what do they need? Do they need to build more medical facilities for their communities? Because many of these communities are in developing countries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're very rural. They're very remote. You know, do they need to build more schools for their children? What does the mine need? They're the ones deciding for themselves what is needed. That's the impact that it's that it's having. And you can read more about it if anyone I and I can send you guys links to put in show notes and all of that. Yes, please. So you can yeah. you can see see what that does. But then there's also traceability in gemstone, like how we talked earlier with diamonds. More traceability is coming. I'm actually evaluating some gemstones right now for my next jewelry project where it's traceable not only to the mine, but the miner that mined it. And this oh. mine is a lot of women miners. So I can tell you if these stones work out, so put it out there universe. So (laughs) yes, if these, if these work out for the designs that are saying they want to be made, then I will be able to tell you not only the mine, I'll be able to tell you the miner and potentially provide you a picture of who she is. So you will know. So amazing. That are in your work. You you will know. Yeah. These are the hands, right? I know it's a podcast. I'm putting my hands in front of the video. These <laughs> yes. are the hands that made the jewelry, but there is the potential with this next project. Um, I can't say too much more because I don't want to jinx it, mm-hmm. but I may potentially be able to show you the hands that mine the gemstones for what's next. I mean, that in my mirror collection, I mine the gemstones. So I am the hands that mine the stones. Wait, what? So the mirror collection where I was talking about like mm-hmm. the yeah. Herkimer diamonds and the Stonehenge and all of that. Yes. I mine those stones in that collection from when you were traveling. Yeah. When I was in Herkimer, New York, back in 20, there's cool. the whole story of what's involved in mining. Them. So, wow. um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so impressed and blown away. <laughs> <laughs> that's the story. That's how I do what I do. And that's who I work with and why I work with them. Who made it? How did it get here? Mm-hmm. And if more people ask those questions with everything, mm-hmm. you know, my daughter just started kindergarten. She's like the curriculum that she is studying was decided by somebody else. And if mm-hmm. she asked me, why do I have to learn this mommy? I'd be like, well, let's look into why the standards are those standards because who decided? And if we want to change it, how do we change it? Mm-hmm. You know, with anything. You know, it's everything that's been created in this world. Has, it's people. And we can change things. People change their minds. Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. And so 
now that I know better with my raw materials and now that it matters in a way without getting emotional, not going to cry, but I can't make any promises. Now that it matters on a whole different level than it did prior to 2018. If there's a way for me to know, to be able to tell someone, this is where the stone came from. This is where the metals came from. This is the backstory to why I work with them and why I chose these over those. I'm going to do it that way. That's so beautiful. You are an inspiration as <laughs> not only a artist, but as a mother. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm so excited that we snagged you for this. Yeah. yeah oh my yeah. goodness. This is amazing. Yeah. I love that your daughter inspired you to want to do yeah, that. Yeah. I like that too. I feel like yeah. Natalie and I both do that with everything. You know, our mm-hmm. kids, both yeah. of us, our kids ask us why we do certain things or, mm-hmm. you know, my family's vegan and my four-year-old is vegan. And now mm-hmm. he understands that he asks questions about that. And now anywhere we go, if someone hands him something to eat, he's like, is this vegan? (laughs) So, you know, but then we talk, (laughs) but we talk about why, well, he used to just say, I'm not dairy. That's what he'd say. I'm not dairy, (laughs) but, um, you know, yeah, we talk about animals and, you know, we talk about that stuff and I share those reasons with him. So, you know, maybe he won't live that way his whole life and that's up to him but but in this house with his mommy and daddy yep Yep. and well and I think I think it's so important you know so many people say that oh you know they're too young to understand no kids pick up on stuff oh yeah kids pick it just like the Notre Dame fire story Maeve Maeve responding to me being you know devastated and I get the criticism for people saying oh you know all this money all of a sudden showed up but we've got people you know who need this need everybody around the world values something different and Mm -hmm. you know to to have compassion for other people and to have compassion and understanding and also willingness to take action to do something to make somebody else's life better like I don't see that as a bad thing. And I know there's forces in this world that are kind of poo-pooing on that a lot, you know, with a, with a, I got mine, heck with everybody else mindset sometimes. And that's just fear-based and, and I get that too. But, you know, in this house, in my studio, which she's in all the time, she tries to steal my tools. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. The tool, I, I, I purge her room when she goes to the grandparents for a sleepover. I'm like, oh, that's where that went. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, like whether she chooses to make those decisions later in life or chooses something totally like it's fine but right now right mm-hmm. here she knows what mommy stands for mm-hmm. um and i think that's important mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and that's part of why we're doing this you know to mm-hmm. share this and our kids inspire us you know even the other day we were driving and my son said what's that trash on the ground and i said well yeah. that's littering and you know we have a save our planet book we read and it talks yeah. about that and he's yeah. like well, I know I want to be when I grow up. I said, what? He goes, a picker upper man. And I said, oh, and he goes, I'm going to pick up all the trash off the ground. I you said, know, oh, our, I love that. Our sanitation <laughs> where I know a lot of people, you know, that's a job. A lot of people, you know, poo poo on and, you know, just kind of disregard, but our sanitation workers and all of that, like they bring order to the chaos. 
And without them, we could talk about what's going to happen. You know, they are one of the most critical people in our community and they're disregarded all the time. And, and people will mock their jobs or whatever, but without them, just imagine what our community would be. Yeah, absolutely. And just imagine if, you know, every sanitation worker, if every jewelry maker, if they all made a conscious choice and if all of them had made a connection within themselves to be sustainable, to Mm -hmm. be responsible, Mm -hmm. you know, imagine what the world would be like if just like 15% of them had that in their hearts. So that's our goal is to grow that percentage in people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, you talk about sanitation, you talk about disposal, you know, there's a lot of toxic stuff that goes into making jewelry. Like when I solder, you know, uh, when I'm soldering a piece, soldering, say a Mm -hmm. gemstone setting onto a piece, I have to put that to to clean that up after the soldering process, because it looks pretty funky and dirty and nasty from getting heated up. To clean that off, I have to put it in an acid bath called a pickle. And for years I had used a derivative of sulfuric acid, which is what's in batteries, what's in your car battery. I use a derivative of that, you know, for jewelry and metal finishing, like even like the metal finishing that's used, you know, any type of large scale metal finishing and and that type of stuff, A, a sulfuric acid bath of some form is one of the most common things used. It is highly hazardous. You know, it's a corrosive. Mm-hmm. It will mm-hmm. eat your skin. You know, bad guys could probably dissolve a body in it. You know, like it's that nasty. Um, not to gross everybody out, but that's that's how how nasty this stuff yeah. is. Well, there's alternative how how you have to dispose of that because when I put a piece of jewelry in that bath, it gets different like metal particulates and stuff in it. I can't just neutralize that with baking soda and dump it down the drain. You know, that's mm-hmm. putting it into our water supply. You can't do that. So it has to. There's people that this tells me that that's been done before. Oh, the stories (laughs) I could tell. Oh yeah. I mean, this is why communities have household hazardous waste pickup. It's not just for your, you know, your oil change. If you're someone who does your oil change yourself or your unwanted oil-based paint or like, you know, old propane tank, tank. your old propane. Yeah. That type of stuff, the, the old chemical stuff that's been sitting in your garage rusting out. Like they also pick up now, if you're doing big industrial stuff and have mass quantities, that's different. But on a small scale studio, I have to take that stuff to the little reworks, household hazardous waste pickup. I have to properly label it because I would properly label it anyway, because it's nasty stuff. I don't want Mm -hmm. someone getting injured for mishandling it. Sulfuric acid, if you get a sulfuric acid burn, you're going to the ER, you know, or at the very least urgy care because it's going to eat your skin. So I've recently, now that I, it took me a while to use up my supply of that, because again, the most sustainable you can do is use what you have. Yeah. So I used up what I had and now I'm switching to citric acid. Citric acid I can buy at the grocery store. (laughs) It's still, you still have to handle it carefully because it can irritate your nasal passages and all of that. And they still have to dispose of it as it's hazmat because it has metals in it and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's not as nasty. Like it doesn't need neutralized with baking soda, the way sulfuric acid does. It's not a corrosive the way sulfuric acid is. Uh, What I use it, how I use it, you know, it is a hazmat material after that. And I would treat it as hazmat, but you know, that proper disposal of stuff in a studio practice, no matter what kind of work you make, there's nasty stuff we all work with. Like you talked about being vegan. I just went to a vegan plant-based polisher 
for my jewelers. Luxi, L-U-X-I, they make polishing products for jewelers. And one, I went to them because the polishing residue cleans off the pieces easier than it does with the other stuff I was using. That means my production time is faster, which means the prices are cheaper. The pieces end up cheaper because I don't have to clean that. Spend as much time. Spend as much time, yeah, cleaning that polishing residue off. But it is a vegan plant. They they say they're a vegan product. So no matter what art you're making, if you go to your suppliers and be like, what's your least toxic, most eco-friendly, whatever green word you want to use, because sometimes people use these interchangeably, whatever word you want to use, go to your suppliers and ask. They will know. Their customer service departments will know. You could tell them, I've been using XYZ and, you know, it's got this in it, like, like a common thing with gemstone. And this is why it's so important for me to know where my stones come from, especially if they're faceted stones, is the faceting process generates silica dust. Silica gets in your lungs and can cause silicosis. Just like how like people who work in old homes, they have to watch out for asbestos mm-hmm. and that type of stuff. Well, within the jewelry industry, faceting gemstones generate silica dust. So are the proper safety measures? Because a lot of these countries like India and Germany are your two biggest gemstone faceting areas of the world. India is huge. Well, a lot of that's a cottage industry and people are working out of their homes and they don't have the OSHA type ventilation system that would be required in the US. So this is why it's important for me to ask where was this faceted, you know, this, this, that, and the other. And the, these stones I was talking about earlier that would be traceable to the miners, the woman, if I choose to have them faceted, the woman who facets them is right here in the US and I know what her safety protocols are. Those types of things are important to me. But there are some industries where there is no viable economical alternative that's less toxic. So mm-hmm. the question is, okay, what safety protocols should you have in your studio then your suppliers will help you with that and even like your artist paints like even some of the kids artist paints even though it's non-toxic just ask the manufacturer what's the safest way to dispose of this like if your kid's done painting or whatever usually once paint is dry you're fine but it's when it's wet or if it gets mixed in with other things even though the label says non-toxic if it gets mixed in with say like a household cleaner well then what happens so just ask i like that you brought up stuff about kids paints and kids supplies because we've talked about just kids toys and things like that in general you know depending where they were manufactured toxicity level of them well lead was banned in paints here in the u.s in 1978 and if it's a large manufacturer to my knowledge anybody importing or wants to do import exports if they're a manufacturer outside the united states and they want to do that like anything labeled that has a kid's label on it has to go through a testing process I know that that has to happen within like if I was making kids jewelry, Mm -hmm. then there's specific like testing and insurances and all of that depending on where you're getting stuff from, you know, Amazon sellers, Etsy sellers, like you, sometimes you just don't know. So you have to be mm-hmm. very careful. Yep. So I know we have to get wrapping up here. So last question is we just finished up a whole go green home series where we talked about, you know, ways, little simple swaps you can make in every room of your home. One thing we didn't talk about was jewelry cleaner and how people mm-hmm. can care for their jewelry. Yes. Do you have any tips for people? Yeah to take care of the jewelry that they already have. Yeah. So I actually have a whole jewelry care tips page on my website that goes into more detail, specific stones and all that. And and if anybody has a specific question, 
they can certainly reach out to me through the website. But in the interest of time, one of the best things you could do, especially if it's a fine piece of jewelry, one, buy the highest quality you can afford. You know, the fun fashion jewelry is is great. But as far as taking care of it long term and being able to clean it, you know, a lot of those, if it has like gemstones, you know, or like crystals in it, a lot of those are glued in. So like how you have to clean that's very specific to the piece itself. Um, But as far as fine jewelry goes, one of the most important things you can do, especially for something that is gemstones, is get it inspected by your favorite full service jeweler regularly. Think of it as like you take your car in for an oil change and a tune up, take your jewelry in, especially if it's something you wear every day, like maybe a wedding set is the most common thing that people wear every day. Take that in, have them clean it. They'll look at it under a microscope because you don't want to lose a gemstone. Prongs Mm -hmm. get, they get beat up. Something you wear every day gets beat up and metal gets worn away and you could lose a stone. And if that's like grandma's ring and you've lost a stone out of grandma's ring, which I have done in my years before what I know now you know, you're going to be heartbroken. And yeah, you can replace the stone, but it's not grandma's stone, you know. Mm -hmm. But as far as cleaning jewelry at home, my favorite is just a polishing cloth. You can get them at your local jewelry store. You can sometimes pick them up just about wherever jewelry sold. A polishing cloth is excellent. You're not using any water, you know, so there's no water waste. Um, Most pieces, that's all they need is like, especially a silver piece. All it needs is a little polishing cloth. If you've got like something funky, on it because you forgot to take your ring off when you you know went to make dinner and now you've got you know whatever in it or sometimes even just like hand lotion buildup mm-hmm. skincare product buildup or earrings you've got hairspray on them you know it happened I like a little bit of just baby shampoo and an old toothbrush it's gentle however if you have something that is strung on silk like a pearl jewelry is often strung and knotted on silk. Anything that's got a textile to it, do not get it wet because one, it may not dry out completely and it can mold and mildew and get funky. And two, when fabrics are wet, they stretch. And so that necklace can get stretched out and now you have to pay for it to be restrung. So that's some of my biggest things. And you can buy, if you just want to inspect your jewelry yourself, you're not sure maybe what it's made out of. You can get online like a little jeweler's loop, which is like a 10X to 20X magnification. And you could look for some key markings on your jewelry, like 14K. I actually have a blog post on my website about like what those markings mean and the difference between carat and gemstone and and carrot in metals. And it's more than just the difference of a spelling. Um, So there's a ton of resources there for anybody who is interested. This is wonderful. When we were talking about the Boy Juice collection, your husband and I connected over the Safid collection because you're a dancer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and that one's, and your daughter, uh, Natalie might like that one because that's inspired by a prima ballerina. Oh yeah. Yeah. Your pennant necklace is like one of my favorites. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, a looked- bunch of those, if you want to see them in person, a bunch of the Void Juice collection is at Squirrel City Jewelers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So get your out. holiday wish in wish list in early because it's been a record almost two years for me. So I'm having a hard time keeping up. So if there's something awesome. you want. I can't wait to show my husband. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I just I just sent out an anniversary gift to a guy in New Jersey. So whose wife Aww. also loves green and loves plants. Oh, this has been wonderful. It was such a breath of fresh air talking to you. Thank <laughs> mm-hmm. you, Michelle. Oh, 
well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we need to get you back on here. You have a lot of really amazing fun stories. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know, yeah. So if you are interested in checking out all of the resources that Michelle's put up for her jewelry, you can find it at michellepajackreynolds.com. Thanks for listening to the show. We would love for you to follow us, leave a review, and share this podcast with your friends. Your support will help our nonprofit be able to do more good in the world. See you next time.